you take your Bibles. We're looking in uh, 2 Samuel. We've been looking at the life of David, doing a series through David. So we're going to pick up in chapter 11. And so if you're, uh, you've ever studied David, most people are familiar with David and Goliath. And then they're familiar with David and Bathsheba. And so that's where we're at this morning. So chapter 11, we're picking up with verse 1. So verse 1, it says, It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab, his servant, with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon, besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. And so David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is it not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him and lay with him, and he lay with her, and she returned to her house. And then the woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am with child. And then I want to move down to the very last verse of this chapter, verse 27. It says, when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. We want to have prayer. Lord, I just ask that you would just bless us now. Help us as we study your word. May your Holy Spirit just be able to challenge us and speak to us, and may your will be accomplished in each of our lives. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes we have regrets. Some of the choices we make, sometimes we have regrets. And today we're kind of looking at some bad, a bad choice, at least that David made. And and so let's start off by doing this. Let's look at some truths that go with temptation. Okay, this is just some general truths just to be able to help us. And so here's the first point that we're going to make. And that is uh, God, He doesn't tell half-truths. God doesn't tell half-truths. What do you mean? Well, whenever you're reading the Bible, have you ever noticed that the heroes of the Bibles, they seem to have flaws? And whenever they do something, it's recorded there. And you would think, you know, the story, we would like them much better if you just left off the bad parts. But God doesn't tell half-truths. He tells the whole story. And He gives us the whole story because it's actually what happened. And so when we read about David, boy, he's been such a hero. But then we... Why don't we just leave this part off? But we don't leave this part off because God tells the story. Listen, God is not a respecter of person. Here's a couple of verses for you. Acts chapter 10 verse 34. Also Romans chapter 2 verse 11. And they basically say the same thing. God doesn't show favoritism. He is no respecter of persons. And so, you know what that lets us know? That lets us know that it doesn't matter who it is. Each of us, if God let David get away with something, then maybe somebody could say, well, I expect he'll let me. No, it's not going to happen. David didn't get away with it, and neither will you. So God doesn't tell half-truths. Here's a second thing I want you to be able to know about temptations, okay? Temptations are very much real. They are very much real. They're not to make believe that we're each one going to face them. Now, there is, in the New Testament, one verse 
that is probably, if you said, hey, what's the, if there's one verse in the Bible about temptation that a person needs to know, what would that be? And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And, and here's what it says to start with. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. What that means? Here's what it means. If you're going to live, you're going to face temptation. It doesn't matter who you are. We're all going to, at some point, experience some type of temptation. So, so don't ever think, you know, I've arrived, and I've got so spiritual I'm not going to be tempted. See, you might have thought that with David. David is so spiritual. I mean, after all, he's, he wrote some psalms. He sung songs to the Lord. He was a man after God's own heart. Can you get any more spiritual than David? And yet David faced temptations, tough temptations and choices. And so if he faced them, you can count on it, you will too. Alright? Here's a, here's a third truth I want you to just be able to take note of before we get, get going. And that is failures are an opportunity for us to be able to learn. And just let me remind you again, we was in, I quoted from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me remind you what verse 6 says. Here's what Paul wrote to them. He said, For these things became our example, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So David basically says, or Paul, excuse me, as he's writing to the church at Corinth, he said, These things are written for our examples. So we are to be able to learn and grow from them. And so, when we read and hear about David, this is just not a story to entertain us. This is just not something so we could point a finger. This is something that we are to be able to learn and grow from. See, some people might say, you know what? If everybody faces temptation, if spiritual people are going to be tempted, then I might as well just give up. I might as well just enjoy the sin. Wrong. These things were written for us so that you and I could be able to take note of them and learn and grow from them and not make those choices. You do not have to make those mistakes. So we can read in the Bible and we can read these stories and we can be able to learn from their examples and not go there. Then, one more thing, and that is God. He doesn't bless sin. God doesn't bless sin. And so, there's some people you may have fallen in David's footsteps and you've already made a bad choice. Let me hear, hear this. God does not bless sin. If you want His blessings on your life, you want to walk with the Lord, you want His joy, you're not going to have it continuing to participate in that sin. You need to be able to turn from that. You need to confess that. You need to be able to repent of that and change needs to take place. Now, let's get back now, back here with David. So there's some truths that we just want to be able to, to make a point of as we study together. But let's look, off, look at now the background. Why is this temptation such a big temptation in David's life? So let's just list some things that are happening. And here's the first thing. First one is, is that David was a, a success. He was a huge success. Before you get up to chapter 11, if you start reading like in chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 10, you know what you find? One victory after another. David has led them in battles. They're winning. 
They have expanded their borders. He's been king now for 20 years. And God has just blessed him. If the people were just high upon David, you, wouldn't have want, you would not have wanted to go to Israel at this time and said something bad about David. I mean, people loved him. They loved him because he is such a blessing and it helped the nation. And, and it, they were thriving. And a lot of it had to do with his leadership and guidance. And so he was a success. Now, some people think you only are facing real temptations when things get bad. Whenever you're under a lot of adversity or a lot of difficulty. That's not true. No. Sometimes the very hardest temptations is when things are going the best. It's when you have the most success. In fact, J.D. Greer said this. He said, the danger of blessing is we tend to forget how dependent we are on God. Many times we begin thinking that, oh, I'm the one that's responsible for this. We begin to pat ourselves on the back and take the glory and the credit. And we let down our guard. And so we just want to take note that David was very successful. Here's a second thing you want to take note of as far as his background this temptation is that David was greatly praised. Like I said, people loved him. By the way, David's about, he's in his 50s at this point. And some people think, you know, when you get in your 50s, when you, you know, you're mature. You can handle situations and stresses and difficult. You can handle temptation. We don't have to worry about you. But David was greatly praised by people and they patted him on the back. And uh, you know what they told him? They said, David, you should just take some time off. You deserve it. Relax. You deserve it. Anything that people can, that brings you pleasure, you ought to do it. You ought to have the pleasure because you deserve it. And you know what happens when people start praising you and it's just constant praise? You start believing your press clippings. <laughs> you start believing all of that. And the next thing you know, you're like, I do deserve this. And it sets you up. See, the, I was reading in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I read verse 13. You know what verse 12 says? The person that thinks that he's standing firm, he's ready to fall. When you think that you've arrived, you're ready to be able to take a nosedive. And then here's a third thing. Here's another background check. And that is this. David had very little accountability. He's the king. Who's he going to answer to? Had very little accountability in his life. If you're a boss, if you're a CEO, if you're a person that's handling a lot of money, a lot of responsibility, you'll want to be able to have some accountability. And you say, well, that means people are questioning my integrity. No. No. Let me, let me give you another verse. Here's, here's Jeremiah 17.9. Jeremiah 17.9. Let, let me tell you the background of this. Uh, <clears throat> Jeremiah 17.9, as far as we just celebrated the 4th of July not long ago. So here's something about our founding fathers. Did you know the reason that we have separation of powers, that we have uh, three branches of government? You know why I have three branches of government? Jeremiah 17, 9. You know what it says? The heart of a man, the heart of man is deceitful 
our founding fathers, now some, it, they're not popular right now, but they were wise. They understood from Scripture, because there was a lot more Christians than you realized, they understood our hearts are wicked. And so they said, you know what? One person, if you just gave them absolutely power, it'd go to their head. They couldn't handle it. So we're going to balance each other. We're going to have checks and balances in our government because we think that's just the wise thing to do. And so we're not going to let one get too powerful or one go this way. We're going to keep everybody in check and balance. And it, the reason they did it, all based upon Jeremiah 17.9. All based upon that. That's the reason that we too need accountability. Charles Stanley, he wrote a book on, uh, on temptation. So uh, in his book on temptation, he was talking about doing some premarital counseling. So he had a couple in his office and he was talking with them. And then all of a sudden from listening to them, uh, he said he got the impression that they were hiding something. And he all of a sudden turned to this young man. Here's what he said. He said, have the two of you been sleeping together? He said the way that they glanced at each other, he said they told me all I needed to know. And He said then the girl blurted out, well, we love each other. And he said they both defended their actions by explaining how strong their attraction was for each other. God understands. He allowed us to feel that way. And then Charles Stanley says this. He said, I asked them this question that left them both speechless. What are you going to do? He looked at the man and said, what are you going to do when you meet a woman at work whom you feel a strong physical attraction? Are you going to use that same rationale? If God didn't want me to meet this need, He wouldn't let me feel this way. See, that's a false rationale. And what we need is people like Charles Stanton. We need people to point out and to hold us accountable. Here's another verse for you to be able to take note of. Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27, it's verse 7. Here's what it says. It says, as iron sharpens iron, Iron helps iron to be sharper. He said, so are we with each other. We're to make each other sharper. We're to help to hold each other accountable. On the table out front, I put a little, some cards. These are actually from uh, the man in the mirror. And these are accountability cards. And they just have some different questions. They, they concerned uh, spiritual life, your home life, and uh, ministry life as far as your witnessing and making disciples and um, and just some critical concerns. So I just put some out there. They may be somebody in your life that you want to be able to use as where you can help each other to be accountable to one another. Somebody that helps you, that can confront you, that uh, can be able, you can serve together. You can uh, check each other uh, where you're at. And, and we each, each of us need somebody like that within our lives. David had very little accountability. And then here's another thing. David had compromised in some areas already. And, you know, a lot of times we pay no attention as long as, to compromise as long as things are going smoothly. But when they aren't going smoothly, they begin to show up and we realize why something happened. Why did David, why did this happen? Compromise. Now I want you to take note of this. This is in... Deuteronomy chapter 17. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, I'm going to pick up in verse 14. Listen to what it says. 
This is concerning kings. He said, when you come to the land which the Lord your God has given you, and possess it and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me, over me like the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you, whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren. And you shall set a king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you, who is not your brother, but he shall not mock he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, You shall not return that way again. And neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he multiply silver or gold for himself. Do you know that's exactly what David did? He had multiple wives. Multiple wives. He had already began to compromise and not follow the instructions of God. Guess what? That helped to set him up for this fall. When we began to compromise God's Word, we're just asking for it. It's just a matter of time. And then lastly, uh, David had put himself in the area of temptation. Now, when we read in chapter 11, what's it say? It says, David happened one evening and get up out of his bed. And he went out to the rooftop and began to look out over the city. Now, his house is a little bit bigger than most. A little higher. And so he's up on the roof so he can see. It's a, I'm sure it was a wonderful view. But he also can be able to almost, you know, a lot of people did things up on their rooftops. And so he can see things going on in people's houses, maybe over their fences, over their privacy, and he can see things that's taking place. And so he had put himself in a place of temptation. You know, a lot of people do that today with their computers, with their phones, on the internet. They just walk out and they put themselves, by looking at the wrong things, they put temptations before them. They, they set themselves up for trouble, for fall. And so David had put himself in a place of temptation. Now, let's take just a moment and let's ask ourselves, what should David have done? What could David have done that would have been different? So how, how could he have handled this temptation? So let's ask ourselves that question. And here's the first thing I want you to see. And that is, this would be a great prayer. Lord, help us to see the consequences of my decisions. Wouldn't it have been great if David would have went out there and said, hey, I can see the future here and it's not good. I don't want to do this. Can I tell you something about Satan? Satan is never. He's never going to show you the consequences. He's going to only show you the limelight. He's going to say, hey, doesn't this look fun? Isn't this going to be adventurous? Isn't this going to be great? Satan is going to make everything sparkle and glow just to get you to go. But you know what he's not going to tell you? He's not going to tell you, in the morning you're going to have a hangover. He's not going to tell you. You know what? You might end up in jail doing this. You know, you keep taking it, you could be addicted. You know, pregnancy actually could happen. This could ruin your family. This could ruin your witness and integrity. Satan's not going to do that. 
at all. So wouldn't it be good if we would just be able to stop and say, Lord, will you just reveal to me the consequences of sin? Would you help me to be able to make a wise choice and be able to see what the end results would be? If David could see, and we're not finished in this series, and so we're going to see some, some things that, that is going to take place. If David could have seen the future, I'm, I'm guarantee you he wouldn't have went here. He wouldn't have done what he did. The consequences. What a blessing it would be to be able to see the consequences to our choices in advance. Here's the second thing, and that is we need to heed the warnings. Heed the warnings. Now, I read to you part of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that all temptation, basically it's common to man. Nothing's going to happen to you that's not common to man, so it's not out of the ordinary. Everybody's going to face temptation. But then that verse goes on to say, but God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted more than what you can handle. And anyone else that says, He'll make a way out. What's that mean? He's going, he'll give you some warnings. David, notice when he sees Bathsheba, he inquires. He's got some people that work in, in his house there. And he inquires. He said, hey, did any of you know who this is? And someone says, David, listen, this is Bathsheba. She's the daughter of so-and-so. You know, it's good for us to realize we're talking about a person. Sometimes we treat people like they're objects. This is a person. This is somebody's daughter. And more importantly, notice what the servant says. This is the wife. And he probably put an emphasis on that. David, listen to me. This is the wife of Uriah. This is somebody's wife. Don't go there, David. It's a warning. It's a stop sign. Do you know the Holy Spirit, God, provides warnings in our lives? Now, I don't know when you drive if you just run stop signs. But if you do that enough, it's going to be a wreck. Your insurance agent's not going to be happy or pleased with you. It's going to be a disaster. God gives us stop signs. He gives us warnings. Stop. Someone said, this one guy, they said, you know, you, you, uh, uh, you seem to disappear at the right times. And that brings me to the third point, and that's this. Flee temptation. Especially sexual temptation. You'll want to run. Paul told uh, church at Corinth, that very thing. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, you know what he says? He said, flee immorality. He's writing to Timothy, young minister. He said, Timothy, this is Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 2.22, he said, flee youthful lust. In chapter 10, 1 Corinthians, Paul, after he gives that big the verse on temptation, verse 14, he says, flee idolatry. Run. I didn't think you would, I thought it was being a coward to run. No, sometimes it's the wisest thing you could possibly do. There are certain places you just don't need to be. So, there's just times where you just need to run. Turn it off. Get away. And so when that young man told his friend, he said, you just seem to disappear at the right time. Yeah, 
because he was heeding the warnings and he was fleeing when he needed to flee. Now, David gives in. He makes the wrong choice. But you know, after you have made the wrong choice, you still got a choice then to make. You see, Bathsheba says, he thought it was, this is just a one night thing, it's over with. No big deal. She said, oh, I'm pregnant. So David says, well, he could have said, you know, we made a mistake. We just need to confess it and come clean. That's not what he does. That would have been the thing that he should have done. We confess it. We confess our sin. You know what? God is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sin. God would be willing to cleanse him and to be able to help him. Now, there's consequences, but God would be able to help him through that. To be able to make things right. To be able to make retribution. To get on the right path. That's not what he does. Instead, you know what he tries to do? He said, I'm going to cover this up. When you cover sin up, that means you are not confessing. That means you're not going to admit it. It means that you, pride, are going to say, hey, I can handle this. And so David doesn't take responsibility. He compromises. He brings Uriah in. So if you continue, and we read all of chapter 11, he brings Uriah in. He says, Uriah, he said, uh, he just pretended, tell me what's going on up front. He said, now you go home and you just relax and take care. But Uriah won't do that. David calls him back and said, Uriah, why don't you go home? He slept out on the porch with David's servants. He said, I can't go home. People are out of battle. Warriors are at battle. They're sleeping in tents. He said, I can't, I can't even go and enjoy myself. David gets him drunk. Now why would you do that? Gets him drunk so he would compromise. But Uriah still said, no, I'm not doing it. So David said, okay. And he writes a note to his general. It's basically a death sentence. And Uriah ends up dying. All because David said, I'm going to cover this up. And you know what happens when you cover up? You just dig a bigger and bigger pit. You go from one sin that's bad to greater sins. And that's where David went. He was just going down a downward spiral. He was getting out of hand. But here's the most important thing. and We read verse 27, and I want you to take note of what verse 27 again. You see, when you cover things up, you might fool your pastor. You might even fool your spouse. Although, although you may uh, be surprised how few people you actually do fool, but you, might, you, they, you may get away with things for a little while. But I want you to take note of what verse 27 says at the end of it. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Some translations say the thing that David done was evil in the sight of God. Here's something you need to know. God sees everything. He knows everything. You're not fooling God. And God said, David... That's wicked. The adultery, that's wicked. The deceit, that's wickedness. 
and the murder, that's wicked. That's evil. It displeased God. Now, some people think, well, that wouldn't bother me. And we're going to look at next week and we're going to see, oh boy, that's disastrous. But let's just take a moment today and let's put ourselves right where we're at. Because there are people today that you're in David's shoes. And maybe it's not adultery, but there may be some other type of sin that you're dealing with, but you're covering up. You won't admit it. Sin will not be forgiven till it's confessed. You cannot have God's hand of favor on your life until you come clean and repent and turn of that sin. You wonder how come there's no joy in your Christian life? You wonder how come there's no power or authority in your walk? That sin. And you can cover it up and say, wow, that was a long time. You're going to have to bring it back and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. And you need to be able to turn from that sin. Ask the Lord to forgive you. And ask Him to restore His hand back upon your life. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I've got good news for you. Christ loves you. Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty of your sin. The worst thing you've ever done, Jesus paid for on the cross. His shed blood is the answer to your sin problem. So if you're willing to be able to turn from that sin and you're willing to be able to confess it and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, to allow what He did upon the cross to apply to you, for Him to take charge of your life, He's willing to be able to save you and change you today. Friend, I'm just so grateful for God's Word. God's Word is authoritative and powerful. And, and just as, as uh, it's life-changing. It's life-changing. And, and so, if you're a Christian, the good thing is, you can be restored and you can walk with God. If you're not a Christian, you can know Christ. You, you, you don't have to be stuck where you're at. And, and remember what Paul said? These things were for our example so we could learn. Today, let's not just cast this aside. Let's learn. Let's prepare ourselves so that we can handle the temptation